And so there's always things that are getting tweaked and modified and adjusted. And by having our own technology platform, which we've designed and built and operate, gives us that flexibility to customize solutions for our customers and evolve solutions for our customers because it's our tech platform. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back to another show. This is Ledge. I'm excited today to welcome Sean Spector. Sean, I always ask my guests, you know, do a little little intro and help the audience who doesn't know you yet uh, talk about yourself and your business. Sure. So my name is Sean Spector. I'm CEO uh, of Dropoff. We are a last mile, same day delivery company based in Austin, Texas. We founded the company in 2014, so I've been doing this about eight years Prior to that, I had started a company called Gamefly back in 2002, which was video game rentals through the mail. Um, had a lot of success with that. Did that for about 10 years and then started drop off. Right on, right on. Yeah, I, the first thing I thought of was, you know, like delivery and last mile and supply chain and logistics has maybe changed just a little bit since 2014. So I, I want to know, is that, a, is that a story where, you know, we were glad we were there and and ready or, you know, or like, wow, like that was a kick in the teeth or, you know, (laughs) what that whole thing looked like. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people say, you know, better be lucky than good, you know, or you make your own luck. I mean, I think we were at the right place at the right time, but you know, we had to do a lot of hard stuff prior to that to get there. So started in 2014, nobody really cared about same day or talked about same day. In fact, Nobody cared about it, talked about it till 2020. So like the first six years, (laughs) it was challenging. Um, It was challenging. It was hard. It was a lot of ups and downs. We were fortunate. We had a great team. We have great investors. So we were able to weather it. But when 2020 and the pandemic hit, that changed everything for our business, you know, essentially overnight. Yeah. I mean, why did you start back then? I mean, there's, you know, there's some of the like, you know, looking forward and seeing an opportunity and in which case then timing either is or is not on your side. And there's a lot of great businesses that are, you know, too early, too late type of, of thing. So that that's a good or early story. But, um, you know, who knows where it would have turned anyway. And so what did you see then that made this like, okay, this is the thing we should go do? So, so I think a couple of things were happening. I think I saw uh, kind of a sleepy industry that was ripe for disruption. It really hadn't been... I don't want to sort of discredit people that have been doing it for decades, but it really hadn't been commercialized in the way you would have expected it to be. Meaning FedEx and UPS had really commercialized parcel delivery, overnight delivery. Like those were very much well-established, well-run, you know, really good metrics. They they knew how to operate that, right? Really, really fine-tuned. When you looked at same day, it was all over the map. Some people were really good. Some people were really bad. Most people were probably in the middle. 
And when you step back and looked at the kind of orgs and enterprises that were using same day, it was like a patchwork network of providers. So, you know, I have a customer that at the time in 2014, 2015, they were using 250 vendors across the US for same day delivery. You know, so, you know, just do the math. I mean, having to manage 250 uh, contracts, your data is in 250 different places. The data is all different because everybody's tracking things differently. Like it was probably like what overnight delivery was back in the 60s and 70s. If if there was some prior to FedEx, it was probably not a great network. A lot of local folks doing it and, and they kind of came along and commercialized it and branded it and made a better process for it to work by bringing everything to Memphis and then taking it back out and they had more control. And so same day was very similar. Not a lot of use of technology. Quality of service was like I said, all over the map. And what you were struck with was the big guy in Dallas wasn't the big guy in Houston. So if you were doing something in Texas, you were working with multiple vendors. And so that just creates a whole set of complications that most businesses don't want to deal with. But they they did. They had to because they didn't really have any other options. So in 2014, that was sort of part of the vision. And I think the other part of the vision, which you know we got right, we got wrong, was that Amazon was moving from two day to two hour. And that was going to put a lot of pressure on retail. And it did put pressure on retail, but retail moves really slow. And so back in 2014, Amazon started moving to two hour. Retail was nowhere near it. And even by 2020, when the pandemic hit, most retailers weren't even ready for same day. So, you know, we thought same day would happen a lot faster for consumers with retail. And it took a lot longer and it really took a pandemic. Yeah. And I, I think... If I would have looked at that problem set back then, there would have been several ways to, to think about it. There would have, there was a lot of businesses that maybe looked at things like this from a, an aggregator standpoint, you know, where you would kind of say, well, I'll take the 250 or thousands of people who do this and pull them into one platform and make kind of a double-sided marketplace connector, you know, fee-for-service type of thing. You went the other way where you said, you know, I'm I'm actually going to have the centralized fleet and then expand it that way. Had how did you consider the different approaches to that problem? Yeah, I think so. It's the difference of B2C versus B2B, in my opinion. B2C, you can piss off a lot of consumers, but there's millions more to go get. B2B, you can't piss off millions of businesses and go get millions more. So, you know, there's only one. Best Buy. And if you don't do a good job for Best Buy, they're going to fire you. So making sure that you had the right amount of sophistication, the right software, the right sort of visibility, the ability to track the deliveries in real time, to provide updates and notifications, that you could screen the fleet properly. Um, we do a lot of healthcare. So, you know, those people that do healthcare deliveries have to get HIPAA certified before they can drive. So just a lot of things that are just different from a B2B standpoint that don't really apply to like a rideshare scenario where it's just, you know, you're matching a driver and a consumer on a corner. Right, right, right. I mean, I've seen websites where, you know, it's sort of like all the shipping container companies are available, you know, for one marketplace. And theoretically, you're supposed to be able to go there and find the right one to move your stuff across the ocean. My, my guess would be 
that's a wholly manual sort of thing with a facade of technology in front of it. So you kind of went the other direction with like, all right, we're going to have a fully integrated vertical solution. We've got the tech, we can do the tracking, telematics, you know, the whole deal. Does that become, I imagine you probably had some kind of interest in a offshoot or something around data, right? Like, I mean, data is a huge part of that, right? Yeah, it is. I mean, coming from Gamefly to Dropoff, you know, so having started a, a previous company and leveraging technology to to ship discs across the United States, you know, kind of came at it from a technology first problem. Like, how do you solve this from a technology standpoint? When we looked at a lot of courier businesses back in 2014, because we did a lot of research, things were still pen and paper. They were spreadsheets. They were maps on walls. Like, it just wasn't efficient. And so technology could make everybody's life better, the customers, the drivers, and us as the operator. So that was kind of the, like, how do you solve these problems through a technology perspective? That's kind of the lens we kind of look at things through. And some you can really well, and some you can't, you still need humans, which kind of makes this business probably more fun and more interesting than just a pure software business. There's still humans touching things and and watching things and moving things. And so, you know, it's it, it's it's still, you know, hand-to-hand combat with humans as well as really good software. Yeah, I mean, I remember, gosh, right around that time would have been 2010, 2012, working at a major company in New York, and they had the bicycle riding couriers go up and down in New York to bring a, a sealed, you know, zipper pack full of, full of documents. I mean, it was a, that was a real thing. Not, not too long ago. No, 2014, when we first opened our office in Austin, which was our first city we launched in, we had, I don't know, two to four bike messengers, you know, because, because we also had the benefit, we were in a capital city. And so you have a lot of documents moving to and from the government. And so, Bike messengers can be really useful getting in and out of traffic and getting to a place by a certain deadline. Um, and you don't have to worry about parking and, you know, all that stuff and walking. You can literally ride your bike up to the doorway and, and lock it up and run right in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. It's like the Pony Express of 2014. <laughs> yeah. There <you> go. <laughs> and so you've got healthcare, I believe I saw manufacturing, right? And um, retail, all those things. I know behave quite differently. So, I mean, are you able to then look at the technology backbone and kind of like either extend or, or just sort of configure around different use cases like that? Yeah. So when we started, we did a little bit of everything. We did healthcare, we did industrial, we did retail, we did business services, we did a lot of food and we did that for probably the first three-ish years of the business. And then 2018, we started re-examining the customers. We started really understanding the data better and really analyzing who were the best customers and why. And there's a lot of different reasons why. And so we kind of honed in on healthcare at the time. And so we decided strategically in 2018 to really focus on healthcare. We felt like that was where the big pain was. There was a big need. There was existing demand there already. You didn't have to wait for like a retailer to figure out that same day was important. The healthcare companies knew same day was important and we're already doing it. 
you're delivering something that's usually perishable, that's got high value, may not have high intrinsic value or high monetary value, but it has high intrinsic value. So like if I take a lab specimen from you, you don't want to have to go back and give that specimen again, right? So you know, it doesn't cost a lot, but it's a pain. Nor do so, I want my specimen <laughs> ending up God knows where. But. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, so specimens, blood, medications, right? All, all intrinsically high value. And so healthcare was just a really good segment for us. And so we really focused on that. And that from 2018 till today, that's been a big focus of ours. And it's a large part of our revenue. The other two segments are really retail slash e-commerce and industrial. Those are good growing segments for us. They are also interesting in the sense that there's high value there. Now with retail, it could be high dollar value. So we do like designer luxury goods. We like that because it's high ticket. And then on the industrial side, the value of the, the monetary value of a part may not be high, but the intrinsic value of a machine not being able to work until that part arrives can be the difference of, you know, being profitable or not profitable that month for somebody. And so it's got huge value to them. And, you know, they, they feel like they want someone they can trust to get it from A to B. And they want to be able to trust that person, you know, seven days a week and, you know, in multiple states. So it, it, doing this is uh, what I say. It's, there's often um, the barrier to entry is low, but the barrier to success is high. What we do is not super hard, but to do it well consistently from coast to coast, that's where it gets really hard. Yeah, yeah, it's not dissimilar to the idea that, well, anybody can spin up a hosting service like we used to do back in the day, but you, know, you are under demand where, you know, sort of the five nines is like the bare minimum amount of success and everything you lose or don't get where it's supposed to, uh, people really, really notice and they, they get pissed off. Like the, <laughs> you have, you you bit off the interesting challenge of like, you know, perfect is the, is the cost of entry and uh, we can only go down from a hundred percent. Pretty much. Right. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, and we always say like, you know, the, the, the on-time metrics that we measure ourselves against ourselves, there's sort of a no excuses. So we measure to the minute. So if it's a two hour delivery window and we show up 120 minutes, 121 minutes, we're late. We mark ourselves late. So we're, we're trying to adhere to a standard that we've set. It's a high standard and, and our customers expect it and need it. Right. And I mean, there obviously are like all kinds of existential things that happen. If you were supposed to have a, a same day package in, you know, I don't know, Sanibel Island last week, uh, yes. things would have been yeah, unfortunately, bad, you know, yes. so, so how do you deal with like the sort of existential nature of of things you can't control in a, in a business like that. Yeah. I mean, it's really about managing expectations and trying to get ahead of things. So hopefully not being surprised. What I found is if you're going to be 10 minutes late, if you tell them you're going to be 10 minutes late, you know, before you're 10 minutes late, they appreciate it. If you just show up 10 minutes late, people are annoyed. So like, it's all about communication and managing expectations. If you know a hurricane's going to hit Florida, 
especially the West Coast, then you alert all your customers, right? And you tell them, here's sort of the protocol. Here's going to be the standard operating procedure. You know, we're going to do our best, but some things are going to be out of our control. Roads are going to be closed, you know, lights will be down. Like there's going to be things that we don't control, especially Mother Nature. Did you learn how to evolve and make SLAs that were, you know, quite a bit more substantial? I have, I found in my own business that that those things are, you know, they're always evolving because like, well, we didn't think of that. And, you know, now we will. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. Uh, always. I mean, you know, often a customer thinks they know exactly how it all works. But until you actually start doing their deliveries, you realize they may know 75 percent. They may even know 85, 95 percent, but they don't usually know 100 percent. And so there's always things that are getting tweaked and modified and adjusted. And by having our own technology platform, which we've designed and built and operate, gives us that flexibility to customize solutions for our customers and evolve solutions for our customers because it's our tech platform versus a lot of our competition licenses the tech um, and it limits what they can and can't do with it. When you design the, probably continue to evolve, like the data taxonomy behind something like that is the objective to, you know, sort of try to make as many enumerated things as possible and limit your your open-ended kind of stuff. I mean, I'm thinking of like, invariably when you have a delivery of any sort on the consumer side, it's sort of like somewhere I need to type in the box, like don't leave it on my porch, walk around the right side of the house and, and stick it under the table. And I would imagine businesses have even more, you know, weird sort of variables at that, like, if not last mile, then last hundred feet. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So making sure you can capture that and store it and display it to the right people at the right time. So lots of notes can be added to a delivery. Some of those notes can be permanent. Some of those notes can expire. Some of those notes are for internal use only. Some of those notes are specifically for the driver. So yeah, so the platform's evolved over time. One of the things I always showcase in the demo of the platform is you've got this sort of bird's eye view of a market and you've got supply and demand kind of on either side and you've got a map and you've got cars moving around. And if you click on a driver, you can see his or her sort of workflow. You can see all their deliveries that are on them, which ones are pickups, which ones are drop-offs. You can see timestamps. One thing we learned early on was like the phone is critical for our success. So that driver who's got a phone in his or her hand, without that phone, they can't work. Without that phone, we can't communicate with them. And so that becomes the lifeline. And so now we track their battery life in real time. Uh, We track if they're charging their battery in real time, because if you're at 30% or 15% and and charging, we're probably okay. We're not going to have an issue. But if you're at 15% and not charging, there's going to be a problem in the next hour or two. And so having access and visibility and that kind of detail can make the difference in getting the delivery done or, or not being able to communicate with the driver for 15, 20 minutes. Right. And I, you have all kinds of like interesting disaster recovery and like endpoint issues. And so like, well, you know, like mobile tower went down or they're, you know, somebody dropped their phone in the toilet on a break, uh, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. You could run down all types of stuff. Oh, yeah. When you, when we, you we've encountered like, a lot of them. 
Um, yeah, thousands so you, of endpoints. Yeah, and so you're trying always to kind of like which is truly like an outlier, which is versus which happens more often than you'd like it to, and it's the more often that you like it to that you start to engineer a solution for. So, like a good example to kind of cited was, you know, driver goes out of network, and that could be because they're in a rural part of the country. It really often it ends up being they're in a parking structure that has no connectivity or they're in a hospital campus that's got really thick walls. And so, you know, you're not getting great reception. And so what we learned to do was cache everything on the phone, right? So we cache all the workflows, we cache all the alerts, we cache all the notifications. And then we, once that person reconnects the network, we can upload everything. And so all the data is there with the proper timestamps associated with it. At, on that same time scale, maybe shifted, uh, you know, four or five years, you started to have the cybersecurity conversation really become paramount. And again, I think like, you know, uh, threat surface and thousands of endpoints and, you know, then a, a, a highly distributed network. That's That's got to be an interesting thing to deal with. Yeah, luckily I have a really good CTO who I've worked with now for almost 20 years. And so he was my CTO at Gamefly and now he's the CTO at Dropoff. And so he and his team have done a great job of making sure we're doing everything we can be doing, probably then some, for a business our size and scale. Yeah, absolutely. So you did the Gamefly exit, I believe. And then it looks like did a bunch of maybe investing or continue to do angel investing. Obviously, you're running the, the company now. Talk to me about this sort of like the evolution of the, you know, Sean uh, portfolio of activities, because there's a lot going on there. So. Well, I'm full time drop off. So I'm full time CEO. And that takes up, you know, the vast majority of my day and, and, and week. And then I've got a family. I've got two daughters, 23 and 20. So that takes up a lot of time, but that's all good stuff. And then there's a little bit of time left over for some fun. Um, and that fun could be angel investing. It could be mentoring another entrepreneur. It could be playing poker, which I enjoy to do. And I just got back into mountain biking. So I'm going to have to figure out how I squeeze that in as well. It makes me think I, I need to know, like, relatively speaking, is the are the odds better for poker or for angel investing? <laughs> so. Well, the thing about angel investing is you have zero control, right? You you, you go by gut, you know, you, you look at some metrics, but the reality is nobody has a crystal ball. No one knows what the next five years look like. Poker, while you have no control of what card comes next, you have a lot of control of how you tell the story of what you're trying to convey. And, and, and it's the one game or sport that I know of that you can be doing the worst and still win. So if you're good at bluffing and you know when to bluff and how to bluff and who to bluff and pick your spots, you can win without having the best hand. And so it's, it's rarer than life that you get to do that. So that's why I like poker. <laughs> you certainly cannot do that in, uh, in angel investing and running no. a, a business for very, for very long. No. I'm not saying there aren't a fair number of companies that at least for a little while pulled off the bluff. But. Yeah. But eventually that bluff comes that usually that, that was it the rooster, right. the rooster right. comes to roost, when right? You, when you go to cash those chips, it doesn't usually work out yeah. for somebody. So. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, I love that. And 
to talk about the balance then, you know, like a lot of a lot of CEOs and founders that, you know, I, I talked to, obviously, you had a little bit of sort of fun and you had some business and you got family and like, oh, yeah, there's that fitness and sort of outdoor thing. And you find that you want those pieces of the pie to be, you know, representatively influential in your life. But there's only 24 hours in the day. Yeah. You know? Well, I, I'd say How like the first few years of a startup, you really can't do anything else. I mean, it's kind of all consuming. And if you make it to series A, series B, right? At that point, you've you've got hopefully a really great team in place um, that allows you a little more freedom um, than maybe you had in the early years of a startup. And so you get to some point, some some point where you've got product market fit and you're able to recruit the right kind of people to really help you scale the business. And then it's more about get out of their way, at least as best as you can. Sometimes I'm good at that. Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> Are you, uh, you know, sort of, I want to be the dumbest person in the room or, you know, I want to have people like that are in parody, you know, kind of with me or like, I hear all these different, you know, metaphors with, with team building and I don't know, none of them really super resonate with me. So I'm just curious. I don't want to be the dumbest. I don't want to be the smartest, right? <laughs> I'm happy being somewhere in the middle. You Intellectual know? moderate. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Um, yeah. And I think, I think, I think that's what other people want. I, I don't think anybody wants to be in a room with a bunch of people that think they're the smartest person in the room. That's, that's not fun. And usually those people don't last because they're not good team players. You need people that can work together, that can collaborate, that respect one another. I always say you don't have to like one another, but you have to respect one another. And we kind of have a no assholes policy at Dropoff. We've kind of worked those people out over time if we discover we have one of them, you know, because life's short. And if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not enjoying who you're doing it with, like, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Having done the things you've done you know, I, I have the, the metaphor of, you know, you're driving 100 miles an hour and you hit a speed bump and that doesn't feel very good. But at least you can tell the drivers behind you, you know, watch out for that. I don't know right. if you have any of those in your your quiver. So. Not really. <laughs> I mean, we we talk about, you know, it's like you're 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 repairing the plane while you're flying it. I mean, sort of a similar example. I got to be looking, you know, three to five steps ahead. And I got a lot of my team members who are kind of living in the moment and, and looking behind three or five steps, uh, right, to make sure we did what we were supposed to do or we did it the way we need to do it. You know, so it, it kind of everybody plays their part, right? Like the, the CEO, you know, or the C-suite is supposed to be looking forward to really drive the business. And you've got a whole nother layer of, of management and VPs and directors and managers that are making sure the day-to-day -day is going the way it's supposed to um, and that you're doing right by the customers. Right, right. What have you learned that you would go back, you know, sort of tell yourself 15 years ago if you, if you got the opportunity to sit at the table together? You know, like when I started Gamefly, I was 32. You know, at 32, you want everything to go much faster. And the reality is everything takes much longer, um, whether that's fundraising or whether that's scaling the business or whether that's selling the business. 
whatever it is, you know, the, the, the dev roadmap, right? The, the product, the, the enhancements to the product, it all just takes longer. And so I was probably pretty impatient and probably not the nicest person back then. And so you fast forward, you know, essentially 20 years later, I was 2002 when we started Gamefly and now we're in 2022. You're just a lot more wiser and a lot more patient. And you understand that, that there's other things that you have to go at, at the right pace for, for the people that you're working with. Um, and you can push, but you don't want to push them over the edge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. So I always ask everybody, you know, we have leaders of B2B businesses, you know, in, in the audience. And I like to find out from each guest, you know, what, what things are you aware of sort of in the, I say on the radar that ought to be on the radar for, you know, every business to business leader over the next couple of years? Well, you know, to be candid, I think the thing, even though we've had success, I think the thing we've still struggled with today is sales and marketing. And what's the right formula? I think B2B, it's a lot harder than B2C. There's some benefits. B2C, you can you know, spend a bunch of money on you know, Instagram and Facebook and Google and drive business. Um, it doesn't mean it's good business. Um, it doesn't mean they're good customers, but you can kind of generate that activity. Sales and marketing for B2B, I think is a lot harder and takes a lot more discipline and a lot more work and effort to do it really well at scale. You know, sales is people driven, right? It's not technology driven. And there's tools and there's data that support the, the salespeople. But at the end of the day, it's people talking to other people in most cases. And B2B marketing for our business, marketing's, you know, important, but I can't just go spend a bunch, bunch of money on Google and get a bunch of customers the next day. That, that doesn't work for this business. And so you got to be really thoughtful. You got to be really prudent. Um, you got to pick your spots. You got to try a bunch of different things and see what works. Some things may work for now, but they may not work a year or two from now. So you constantly have to evolve it. And I, I think having gone from B to C 10 years to now eight years of B to B, I see a lot of benefits of B to B, right? Because if you get really good salespeople, you can kind of push your way through the doors. You can kind of push your way through the blockers and you can get to the decision makers and, and figure out, does your product resonate with people pretty fast if you've got a good sales team or sales leader. So I like that. I think I like B2B better than B2C. I certainly have much more appreciated the ticket size of B2B. Yes, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Lower hit rate and lots more money. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm always I'm always amazed by B2C. Like I'm like, please tell me how this works because my brain does not compute this. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, I, I love that. Anybody that's interested in, you know, or resonating what you're saying, what's the best channels to, you know, reach out to you on? I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. LinkedIn's my name. Twitter's at Sean Spector. It's easy to find. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate the, uh, the insights. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Lex. Thank you for having me. It's great. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.